All right, and we're live. So, this is Guys Being Dudes, episode number two. I'm Mitch. We're here with Danny and Anthony. Today, we're going to do a little bit of an NBA episode for you guys. Uh, James Harden just got traded to the Nets. So, that's going to take up a majority of the episode, just how James Harden made up a majority of Houston strippers' income. And, and a majority of his uniform. Absolutely. He made up a hundred. There was no air gap between, like, no from skin to jersey, no air, non-existent, at all. Just, like about to rip. <laughs> so, can, can we just before we get into the actual trade, just that one clip of him during shoot around? He looked like a fucking bowling ball, like a jelly donut. <laughs> like, how do you let yourself get that bad? Like, I get it. Like, you you're a rich NBA star, so you're gonna go, you're gonna party and stuff. But like, you also have some type of like commitment to your health and your body considering that's what your job relies on is how healthy you are nah he was getting off on the stripper wings Hero. the stripper <laughs> wings definitely like they were buying them by the box load i put money on it they were just backing up semi trucks worth of just chicken wings just for james harden to snack on while he was looking at some titties he took uh-huh. a page out of uh, lou williams book and just went to the strip club and just ate a bunch of wings a hundred percent hundred percent so then after that, we're going to give you guys a little bit of uh, award picks. So MVP award, predictions, rookie of the year, champ, defense play of the year, coach of the year, six man, things like that. So like we said, we're going to start with the James Harden trade. Uh, to break it down for you, Harden got traded to the Nets. No biggie, no shocker. It's a four-team trade, which is going to send Victor Oladipo and four unprotected first-round picks, which is... Four from Brooklyn, which is a 2022, a 2024, a 2026, and one from Milwaukee from 2022. And four unprotected first-round picks are going to be swapped, which is from 2021, 23, 25, and 27. Do you guys ever understand, like, four-team trades? Not at all. Like, I I don't know. There's a lot of trade swapping that just confuses everybody. Yeah, like, I'm reporting this, and it's like, I don't even really understand it that much. I've just got to report it. I'll be honest. The, you just broke it down, and I'm more confused now than I was oh, before. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah, see, I'm doing a great job. So <laughs> so basically what happened was Levert went to the Pacers. Yeah, for, and the Pacers get Levert, a 23 yeah. second-round pick from Houston, and then to finish it off, the Cavs are going to acquire Jared Allen and Torian Prince. So a humongous trade. So the first thing I want to jump into, and this is probably the most least interesting part of this trade, is just how bad Jared Allen got screwed over in Brooklyn, and now they're getting screwed over again, sending him to Cleveland. Like, Jared Allen deserved to be the starter in Brooklyn, and he didn't get it because Katie and Kyrie wanted DeAndre Jordan to start, and we all saw how terrible he was. And so Jared Allen had to come off the bench for the first 10 games of the season. And now he, they're like, all right, peace out, man. We're going to ship you off to one of the worst teams in the league. And now uh, you've got Cleveland over there who is just trying to build that five-man, seven-foot roster. And you know what really sucks for him, too, is he has a – I'm not quite sure when his contract is up, but I know it's a team option. So they can match any deal he's offered in free agency and keep him there. He's just trapped, man. That, that man poor can't man. Catch a break. He can't catch a break. I don't know. So you want to look did. at Cleveland's starting lineup then? So you got Kyle Sexton, or Colin Sexton. You got Garland, 
Uh, then you got what? Do they have Larry Nance Jr. starting at small forward right now, or is it Chetty Osmond? No, it's uh, Nance. Yeah, it had to be Nance. And then you have what? Jared Allen at the four, maybe Andre Drummond at the five. And then I, I mean, but I wouldn't think that they would put Jared Allen at the four. They would probably have him coming off the bench again. Yeah, most my because they're not going to start Jared Allen over Andre Drummond. That's just not going to happen. Yeah, Andre Drummond averages way too many rebounds. No, but I mean, gonna, honestly, they're going to try. And, Jared Drummond's going to be gone. They're going to try and lock Jared Allen up either yeah. by trade or free agency, most likely by free agency, because I don't think anyone really wants to touch that contract. They realized how bad Drummond is. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But, and I mean, the pouting. Cavs team, I love that Cavs team this year. Like, their front court, or their back court, my bad. Their back court with Colin, like, Sexland, man. Like, you just can't hate on Sexland. It's just an amazing back court. Dude, they're so entertaining to watch. I love watching them. Sexton and Garland. Yep. Just two great players so energetic they've just they're so good at scoring man they're just so quick at cutting to the basket and they make the right decisions with the passes man i i really like that Cavs backcourt a lot so do you know whose backcourt just got better off of this exact trade too is the indiana pacers the indiana 100%. pacers right now have malcolm brogdon and karis LeVert, who have a very high score scoring ceiling and karis LeVert's volume just went up because now you're working with a point guard that actually shows up to the games. Yeah. So, so I mean, Malcolm Brogdon's been knocking down his threes. At Kyrie Irving. Yeah, at Kyrie Irving. <laughs> bitch, play basketball. Quote, unquote, personal issues. Yeah, bro. Just shut up and dribble. Just shut up oh and Stephen God. A. Stephen A said it best, man. All you got to do is go out there and dribble a fucking basketball, and you can't even do that. Just retire. Just end nah, in, in his situation, all right, so in many situations, that would be wrong. But in his situation, it's just like you're getting paid millions of dollars, dude. What are you so obsessed, like, upset about? Yeah, you like, can't do that. Because it's not because it's not anything with social justice. Because if it was social justice, a lot of people would be behind it. But right now, he's just like basically going through this like religious like I don't mm-hmm. know awakening where he's just like refusing to play basketball and instead doing, you know. Kyrie things but you we don't even see, know what he's doing that's fine to refuse to play basketball just stop cashing your paychecks then you don't get paychecks so you start playing basketball because that's your fucking job that's my problem he's, he's getting paid to go do whatever the hell he wants and that's where I've got the issue he's getting these hundreds of thousands of dollars of paychecks man and he's just not doing his job so stop paying him until he does his job and it'd be different if the whole league like back when the bubble was happening when the whole league was protesting and doing all these different things for social injustice. He's the only person doing it right now. So there's real no there's no excuse for it, you know? It's just him being petty and I, I can't stand it. Kyrie has really gotten on my shit list lately. Well it's always it's always about the social injustice at the end of the day. It's always about like rooting on, you know, the the movement, you know, because at the end of the day it's it's something that is a problem in America. But at the but coming back to it now, the players, none of the players, like you just said, are kind of like pushing it. They're they're playing basketball right now, like on the side or like every day they rep like, you know, Black Lives Matter or like the movement in general. But they're not really skipping out on games and exactly. refusing to play basketball like Kyrie is. And I don't even think it ties into any of like racial issues or like social injustice like uh, 
like uh, actions i could i guess you could say I used he, to he's like, just basically doing his own thing i used to like kyrie irving a lot i mean especially when he was playing with lebron there in cleveland but over the years he's quickly become probably my least favorite player in the nba like just his actions like especially as you were saying anthony like he just acts completely unprofessional honestly like he acts like a 16 year old girl like he's yeah. extremely like he, he's, he's petty. ridiculous he's very yeah he's very petty it's absolutely ridiculous that he is a grown man considering his actions of late i mean he just doesn't show like if i just didn't show up to work i'd be fired the first time i didn't i did that Exactly. And I mean, what he did to Steve Nash when he uh, when he said he was sitting out for personal reasons, you know, in our terms, that'd be a no call, no show because he didn't do he didn't say anything until 30 minutes before the game. He didn't give him a reason why he just said, hey, I'm not playing today. And he just sprung that on them before the game. And in our terms of normal people, that'd be a no call, no show. Most people get fired the first time that happens. Yeah, he was literally an MIA. Like they were like, well, I mean, I remember like hopping on Instagram and I saw the post. They're like, the Nets don't know where Kyrie Irving is. And it's like, oh, awesome. <laughs> and it's like what Danny was saying. Every other player is still contributing to the movement, but doing their job at the same time. Because the end of the day, you have a job to do. And if you're not willing to lose that job, then you have to show up for it. And right. it's, it's fine if Kyrie wants to quit his basketball career and go do um, social movements for the rest of his life. More power to him but just stop getting paychecks from these nba teams that these owners are wasting all their money on you and you're not doing any and i can't imagine how tense that locker room is like they can't be enjoying what he's doing right now like imagine this right let's say we're on an nba team and we're all collectively working together to push towards one goal a championship and danny just decides to stop showing up for practice stop showing up for shoot around talk about practice right now but you know danny just stops showing up for all this and danny's supposed to be our star player our lead player that's going to get us there and really push us over the hump and you know now danny just gets to pop back in whenever he wants and everything's supposed to be okay and he's our leader and all this stuff and i i would just be so pissed off if i was in that locker room part of that team because everybody else is putting in the hours they're doing their job and they're doing it the best they can but then you've got this one guy who is just leaving a giant load for everybody else to carry. And it's just not fair. So another angle to that, pretty similar to yours, but just a little bit different. And just real quick, because I want to get back to the whole James Harden angle of it, how he's going to fit in with the Nets, what we really think is going to happen. Yeah, we got way off track. Yeah, like what exactly is his waist size now growing at an absolutely <laughs> unprecedented rate? <laughs> oh, so, so like, yeah, I mean, another angle of that is – I mean, take another player on the team that's not to the status of Kyrie Irving that isn't an NBA champion and has the skill set he that he has. Do you think that the Nets would, uh, you know, be as tolerant to the situation if it was Joe Harris doing this instead of Kyrie Irving? How do you oh, hell think no. players like Joe Harris feel? I mean, Kyrie can just take a day off whenever he wants; doesn't have to tell anybody. That's not exactly. No, it's not fair. 
yeah. the thing is about it is like players like LeBron or Steph Curry, they've got the status to where they can pull some stuff like that every now and then if they really wanted to. And you can't say much about it, but Kyrie just showed up in Brooklyn. They haven't won anything yet. He hasn't proven anything outside of winning a championship in Cleveland. So you don't really have this status effect where like you can do whatever you want. And I don't understand why everybody lets Kyrie do what he wants because it's just like he hasn't done anything without LeBron by his side. And I've said this to Danny so many times. Kyrie has not won a single thing without LeBron. And he had such a good team in Boston to work with and they didn't get it. So, I mean, I just, I don't think he's got any room to act like a leader because he doesn't play like a leader and he really doesn't treat his teams as if he wants to lead them to a championship. I'd say James Harden is more of a team player than Kyrie Irving, to be honest with you. And that's saying something. <laughs> that is saying something because he didn't even show up to summer like training at all. <laughs> he just right. ate chicken wings at the strip club. Exactly. But like it's but but like you gotta think about it. Like James Harden, he is there at every game, at every practice. Yep. He is grinding just like everybody else. And not to say, I mean, he did gain a lot of weight over the offseason, but you'll start to see him slim down now because he's on a championship contending team. I mean, he's going to start getting back into his routine diets. He's going to start, you know, hitting the weight room way more, start hitting the gym way more, start getting his endurance up more. And you're going to see, I mean, I think he's going (laughs) to explode and blossom (laughs) with Kevin Durant. But see, that's the thing. And ideally that's what's going to happen. But you put these three guys together who, I'd say two of them have huge egos. I'd say KD is more of a mellow guy now after his Golden State years. I think he's chilled out a little bit after winning those rings. So I think those two giant egos with Kyrie and James Harden, because they both feel like they still have to win that chip in order to like solidify themselves. And you put them together and each one of them wants to be the one. Well, actually, you know what? In hindsight, maybe this is a good thing. Maybe they did this so Kyrie can go piss off and sit out for 20 games because for personal reasons. And then James Harden can just, you know, be the Kyrie replacement with KD. You know what? Brooklyn, I see what or, they're doing. Or make Kyrie maybe set out on purpose because he knew he was included in the trade deal. And he's like, nah, I'm not playing. And they're like, all right, well, Kyrie's out. So, like, we can't really trade him because <laughs> he's not really playing. So, they're like, all right, screw it. We'll take Harris LeVert and freaking Jared Allen. Nah, just send them to Indiana and Cleveland. Like, we'll just take the draft picks. The like, Brooklyn GM's on the, the phone. Naughty music in the background right now. The Brooklyn GM's so on the phone with Houston's GM. And they're just like, hey, Kyrie's pouting in the corner because we didn't give him another lollipop so uh he just he just doesn't want to go man we can't trade him what if Kyrie just comes back and just explodes he's like nah i just did it for the trade <laughs> yeah all right I well mean, let me get into this real quick all right so kevin durant right now just came off a year you know off injury of his achilles okay he is currently right now averaging 34 minutes and he's also averaging 29 points James Harden is averaging 10 assists, all right? But, he, I mean, he is averaging 22 points, which is pretty low for him. But the way the system I, I'm seeing it right now in Brooklyn is the Nets should be getting number two in, in the conference, honestly. And we'll get more into, like, the standings because we do have, like – I mean, I have a list of the West, one through ten, in the East, one through ten basically every single team that I think is going to perform well. But I just think that the Nets are going to be a very good team this year because those three players are, I mean, they're the biggest in the NBA. 
Well, yeah, you can't put those three players on a team and, you know, get a six or seven seed. Like, that's just not going to happen. No way. No way. Yeah, they're they're finishing top three guaranteed. I'm with you, Danny. I think they're going to finish second. I don't know who you have at one, but I've got Philly finishing at one. Oh, my oh bad, my guys. I, I have them at three. But that they are still shock. top top five I know. in the league, honestly. I, I like what Philly did in the offseason, man. I like the shooters that they got. All right, so, so hold up. So... The thing about Harden and going to the Nets and stuff like that, what kind of effect do you think he has, like, on the team as a teammate? Like, being what he said. I mean, so, like, to directly quote him, he said, I mean, this is in his press conference a day before he was traded to the Nets, said, I love this city. I've literally done everything I can. The situation situation is crazy. I don't think it can be fixed. Thanks. And then he just walked away. But my issue with that is he says – this situation is crazy. I don't think it can be fixed. I mean, he showed up to training camp looking like an overinflated tire. It says like, what he, do you mean? You what do you mean? You don't think? How about you show up to training camp in shape? And we'll talk about. He did it. that on purpose, bro. He didn't want to go. How about you consistently show up in the playoffs? Yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of bad blood in Brooklyn. A lot of mixed emotions. Some guys are going to probably just jump on the bandwagon and say, look, we got James. Let's get behind him and let him do his thing. Other guys are probably going to look at it in a different And what he did in Houston is just so disrespectful to the game and to the sport and to everybody else who shows up and tries their best every single day and puts in countless hours every day to improve themselves and help push their teams further. And I think it's going to be a lot of mixed emotions, and I don't think a lot of guys are going to like it. It sways both ways. I'm with you, Anthony. I just get bad vibes from James Harden. He's just – I just get such – and him and Kyrie together, like, honestly, they might as well hire TMZ to have a camera in the locker room at all times. <laughs> because it's just, like, dude, seriously, though, it's going to be like Karda- the Kardashians over there. It's going to be Keeping up with the Brooklyn Nets. Like, dude, the saddest thing. <laughs> dude, you know what the saddest thing is? It's going to be most, funny. The most emotionally stable superstar they have is Kevin Durant. Dude, two years ago, that guy was making burner accounts. Yeah, like I, I, I'm with, I'm in the same boat, Mitch. I really am. I just like it's, what's gonna happen <laughs> when these guys lose like Game Four at Milwaukee on the road in the Eastern Conference Finals, and I don't know. James Harden didn't pass the ball to Kevin Durant when he was open in the corner for the last second. He drove and missed on Giannis, and they're arguing like, what's gonna happen, dude? It's gonna completely fall apart, in my opinion. Or James Harden shoots three for 17 from the field and then right. tries to say that it's not his fault. Or Kyrie just decides to not show up again. Yeah, like, honestly, they need to put, like, a toxic waste sign on that locker room for all the toxicity that's going to go down in there. I feel like for players like Joe Harris, man, oh, my God, imagine how much shit he's going to catch this season. He's. I feel like he's going to be their scapegoat in the locker. We'll never hear about it in or the DeAndre media. Jordan. Or no, they like DeAndre Jordan. I don't think they'll do that. But what they should have done, man, and I, I said this earlier, they should have just the Kyrie and KD should have sat him down and been like, "Listen, DJ, we're all friends, man. But like, we're gonna go on an island vacation when the season's over. We just need you to take a seat on the bench. We're gonna start Jared Allen because he's gonna give us a better shot at winning." It's but, basically a retirement gig for DeAndre Jordan. Exactly. It's like them trying to get their friend a championship before he retires. Yep. Just helping him out, basically. 
it's like when J.R. Smith got picked up in the bubble by the Lakers last year and played like five minutes total. It's like oh, that same yeah. exact concept. Yeah, he had no business being on an NBA court. <laughs> yeah. Marcus Cousins was also on that team, and he did not play a single minute that entire season. I don't even think. The NBA brotherhood is a strong one. I want to kind of circle back to this trade and talk about something that I don't think a lot of people are really talking about. I think Houston came out a pretty big winner in this trade. I oh, like so the I. Victor Oladipo going to Houston, mixing him with John Wall. I like that. I'm excited. I don't like it. I'd rather have Levert on that team. Yeah, I'm with you. I'd pick Levert over Oladipo. I feel like India, the only loser in that trade is Brooklyn. Every other team won, in my opinion. Cleveland got Jared Allen. That's a solid pickup because of what Danny said. They can drop Andre after his contract's done, clear up a ton of cap space, and pick Jared Allen back up like Mitch was saying. And he fits their, their timeline better at like age-wise with stars like – or not stars, but hopeful stars like Colin Sexton, Garland, Okoro. Yeah. I feel like the only team that lost in that trade was Brooklyn because of the uns. Move Brooklyn's made in ten years. We we won't know. I guess right. an important thing to note on it too is that James Harden is under contract for what two more like this year and then a year after. So they don't even have to make it work this year. Technically they could just kind of mesh this year and then really push next year for it. I think it's like 43, 45 for the next two years. So 43 million for the first year, then 45 for the second year. So like he's at a super max contract right now and you have Kyrie that's also on a max contract. And then you have Kevin Durant that's on a super max contract. So like you have absolutely no money yeah. for role players. You literally just got rid of your two best role players. What are your two why best I don't role think players are you really, which is why, I mean, not to give away, anything from later in the episode but it's why i really don't think they're gonna win the title or i mean i do think they'll go far in the playoffs because like we said earlier there's just a certain you're gonna have a given amount of success when you put those kinds of superstars together but i mean you know bench is important in the playoffs you need a bench and if you don't have one a lot of times it's gonna bite you in the ass I mean, look at what happened. We talked about this a little bit yesterday in the group chat. Look at how Cleveland did it with LeBron and look at how Golden State did it in that like four-year tear they went on just destroying the whole league. Those teams were super deep with super reliable players, excluding J.R. Smith. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that that's why they won those championships. You know, everybody accredits it to Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and no doubt without them, they're not getting there. But without Sean Livingston, with Without Andre Iguodala, without um, Mo Spates, like they're not winning those rings. They needed those players around them. And it's a collective idea that everybody has to buy into, which is why I don't think it'll work out in Brooklyn, in my opinion, because those aren't just, you can't get along with those guys super easily. They don't mesh with everybody super well. So getting all those bench players and all those role players to kind of get on the same page as KD, Kyrie, and James Harden, when I highly doubt that those three are even on the same page, I, I don't think it's going to happen. No. No, and real quick, I mean, I think a, a huge winner in this trade is, like Danny said earlier, the Indiana Pacers. 
I mean, Karis LeVert, can I just be like a like a super, super happy Michigan fan real quick? Sure. <laughs> yeah, go, I have been nuts. the biggest Karis LeVert supporter ever since he was at Michigan when they had those like prime years with John Beeline when they went to the Final Four. And I always thought that he was going to be a good NBA player. And people told me, dude, you're crazy. Michigan basketball sucks. Well, freaking <laughs> look at this now, man. Bro, look at Duncan Robinson. Look at Duncan, Duncan Robinson. Robinson been going crazy. He's a dog. He, he knocks down his threes, dude. He's automatic every single time he's open for three, maybe nine times out of ten. And he looks Being, like that guy from Jimmy Neutron, which is a bonus. Sheen? Yes. Yeah, Sheen from Jimmy Neutron. They're oh, my 100% twins. So my whole point is I'm just really, really happy to see not only Karis Avert, but guys like – Duncan Robinson, even Trey Burke on some nights uh, succeed in the NBA. Just just really warms my soul. Talking about the Indiana Pacers, man, they've always been a team that's been on the cusp in the East. They've they just one or two pieces away from really putting it together and putting up a good fight in the East. Karis LeVert may have been that missing piece. He may have been what they needed. That'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. They're always that four seed in the East, like that four or five seed. And, uh, I think it'll be fun to watch them because I, I highly doubt they're going to miss the playoffs. I think they'll make it, and it'll be fun to see what they do in the first round for sure. So TJ me- Warren, um, okay, go ahead, man. We can move first. on. All right, so let me pick your guys' brains on this. What do you think is going to happen with the situation with that Pacers front court with uh, Sabonis and uh, Miles Turner? I was going to talk to I was going to say that. You were going to say that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, I was going to say Sabonis be... has been very, very consistent. Miles Turner has always been known about his defense. So, like, I think it's a really good front court. Do you think they're going to be able to play together, though? Like, do you think that one of them is going to end up getting traded? Um, I think they'll just rock out the rest of the season. After that trade, I don't think they're going to make any more trades. I think they're just going to stick with the Levert trade. And then they're just going to keep the core that they have right now because they do have a very good starting five. I mean, you have uh, Brogdon, Levert. Then you got – what's his name? Fuck. TJ Warren. <laughs> got it. I got it. Uh, Sabonis Miles and Turner. Miles Turner. So, like, you have a very heavy defensive team, except kind of Levert. Levert plays decent defense. I mean, he's good on the perimeter, but then you, t- then you take him to the paint. I mean, he's, he's kind of non-existent. Yeah, he but he bucket. is a bucket. He's a bucket on offense, though, and he his scoring ceiling is very, very scores. high, man. That whole team is just built to stretch the floor, and I feel like that's like they're built for the modern-day NBA where they've got five players that can shoot threes when they're open. And to go back to what you said about are they going to work with that front court, I, I agree with what Danny said. They're going to ride it out for the rest of the season, but if they have to pick one over the other, it's definitely Sabonis because they were trying to trade Miles Turner to Boston during the offseason, but Boston didn't want Miles Turner. I forgot what didn't play out, but they were trying to do a Gordon Hayward-Miles Turner swap, and there was something in between that just didn't work out between the teams. I think they wanted too much for Miles Turner, and um, I feel like they'll move off of Miles Turner before Sabonis, but also agreeing with what you guys said, like that is an offensive firepower right there. And they're a sleeper. Nobody talks about them, but they can stretch the floor better than a lot of teams in the NBA. No one talks about them as a team, and no one's honestly talking about Sabonis. I mean, he gets talked about like as a player, but not in the way that he should be getting talked about. I mean, if you look at his stats, he's averaging 22 points this year, six assists, damn 12 rebounds. 13, yeah, yeah, damn near 13 rebounds, 56% from the field. I mean, he's playing at 
well above an all-star capability. His, if he was playing in Boston, his efficiency he'd be is so really much high. Attention right now, he gets or thirty-seven Miami. minutes a game. Like yeah, he gets a ridiculous minutes. amount of minute. Like that's a lot of usage. <laughs> like and he's just, ranked number three at his position at power forward. The media just doesn't show any love to the Pacers, man. I mean, you go anywhere outside of Indiana, and you know Sabonis could be behind you at Chipotle, and nobody would understand who he is. They'd just be, be like, like oh, "Damn, that dude's freaking tall, man!" <laughs> yeah, nobody would know who the hell it is, and that's because he's the media some tall European-looking dude. Yeah. <laughs> So I feel pretty satisfied about that, about the trade. You guys ready to move on? Yeah, I'm down. Sick. All right, so awards. I think Kevin Durant's going to win MVP. Yeah. Huh. For the same reason that we were talking before the show about rookie of the year, I'm not going to spoil anything, but for the same reason that we were talking about, just solely because of just the amount of spotlight that he gets. I just think, you know, everybody's talking about KD. It's his comeback season. And, you know, coming off of that Achilles, like such a terrible injury to come off of. And it just seeing him light up the floor the way he does, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he won MVP. Right, and I've been critical of KD in the past. I'm no fan of his, especially when he went to Golden State. Uh, I just don't like that. I did not like that either. Yeah, for obvious reasons. I don't think anyone really liked it. But he's been playing. I mean, one of the reasons I think he's going to win MVP is, you know, like when you have expectations for a player going into a season, you expect them to play to – their expectations like you know it's harder to win back-to-back mvps like there's no way Giannis is winning it again because the expectations for Giannis are so sky high right now well the expectations for kd not that they aren't high but they're much much lower considering that he's coming off of an achilles tear which is basically a death sentence to most mm-hmm. players career and he's example playing. demarcus cousins yeah example demarcus cousins example kobe bryant rest in peace Example, I mean, Derek Rose. Exa- yeah, the list goes on and on. Achilles, death. Oh, no, he had knee. My bad. He had a knee injury. Right. <laughs> no, I, I want to, speaking about Achilles, this is a little off topic, but I want to hit on this really quick. So, you know, John Wall and Katie are really good examples of two players that took a lot of time off to come back from their Achilles tears and their injuries. Given John Wall got re injured. Um, they still took a lot. Like John Wall was out for two years before this year, and then you got KD, who was out for a whole season. So do you guys think it's better for these players to just take extra time off to make sure they come back 100% rather than rushing it? Because, um, you know, like what age – or I was going to say AD. What KD did in the finals, you know how he rushed back onto the court and re-injured himself and it ended up being an Achilles tear, which was much worse. So – do you guys think it's better for these players to take maybe an extra three to six months off to make sure that they're fully healed? Or do you guys agree with the concept of rushing it back so you can get on the court and help your team quicker? I believe that you, yeah, yeah, I'll take this one. So I believe that you should take as much time as you need to, to recuperate yourself, to not re-injure yourself because at the end of the day, you can ruin your career if you rush onto that court. Um, There's something that LeBron said. He said uh, during the finals, AD sat out, or not sat out, but he had an injury to his knee uh, earlier. And he 
didn't want AD to push it because there's this thing where if you get injured, like your entire body is like prone to being injured. So you could have a knee injury and then somehow get like a shoulder injury, like maybe a month later, Mm -hmm. like if you don't like take care of it properly. So like you're, when you're injured, you're basically injury prone, like to your entire body. So like you could aggravate anything in your body which would prevent you to coming back and performing at your highest level because you ended up rushing it and i just think that taking the time to recover so you can play at your highest like expectation is really a key thing i don't think that you know i don't blame kd for sitting out for an entire year even like for instance if they would have said like he could come back for the playoffs and he's like no i don't want to play the playoffs because you know i don't want to risk like going down with with another injury like Mm -hmm. because i'm still gonna like i'm still like coming back like from a very serious injury that could end a career I wouldn't even be mad if he said that he would sit out for the entire playoffs and everybody would probably be like what the hell like you're fully recovered but like you know when you're ready to go back on that court and to start playing the way you used to play yeah I agree because a doctor can tell you you're fully healed and you're ready to go but nobody knows your body better than yourself correct yeah, I'd agree with you guys for the most part. I think for the, a little bit it depends on what situation you're in as far as should you get rushed back onto the court. Like we said, like if you're in a playoff situation, which is how KD sustained the Achilles injury, it's a little bit different. Maybe you should, you know, get back onto the court because there's a chance that you couldn't get injured and you win, you know, possibly a title. Fi- yeah, exactly, which is and totally worth it, obviously. But unfortunately, KD was unlucky and came out of it with the torn Achilles. But I do think once you sustain the injury, if you're in the situation that Kevin Durant was in, where you sustain it in the finals and it's, you know, you're going to be out, it's the off season after, then yeah, take your time, you know, wait till you're ready. Because like you guys said, no one knows your body better than you. And when your job is to, you know, perform like a professional athlete, you kind of got to be on the court. Unless you're Kyrie Irving, which we've already established. <laughs> Unless you're Kyrie, then you just don't got to be in the fucking building at all. Dude, Kyrie be is just bank. a free pass. Like, you just do whatever the hell you want. It doesn't matter. So, circling back to the MVP. So, Miss, you said KD. We talked about this before the show. Me and Danny both said AD. We both think Anthony Davis is going to win uh, MVP. And <clears throat> one of the leading reasons for me is just the way LeBron has taken that step back and is letting AD run that team and then his defensive versatility. It's just because not only do you get offense, but you get that uh, insane defense from him, which is most likely going to put him in defensive player of the year category. Honestly, he may win both. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. But just AD, the way he scores and the way that there's really not many people in the league that can guard him other than, you know, Jokic. And honestly, I feel like he can even burn Giannis pretty consistently because Giannis just doesn't have the muscle on him. And I just I just don't see many people beating AD when he's on the court. I think he's one of, if not the best players on the court in any given game. I think AD's footwork is well above Giannis's too. Yeah. He's much more sound and in control of himself as an He can shoot better. 
He's a better shooter. He's a better all-around player than Giannis, honestly. I mean, he's averaging uh, one and a half threes a game. I mean, like Anthony Davis, I think that there's like defense that's involved in this at the end of the day when it comes to putting him above KD because I think KD coming back from his injury is absolutely wonderful. I think he's playing better than I thought he was going to play. I thought he was going to just come back slowly and then start like playing better and better throughout the season, but he's just coming out on fire. But the thing with AD is you're able to shoot the ball from the three point to the mid range to the paint. You're able to defend the paint, the mid range and the three pointer. Giannis misses a couple of those categories. And when you come to, when it comes to playmaking, they're practically the same. If not, AD makes his team better in my opinion. The only thing I think Giannis has AD beaten, and I think we can all agree on this, is just the athleticism that Giannis has. AD doesn't Being able have to that. Dunk. Yeah, yeah. Right. Giannis they can take like, those three strides from half court and yam it on somebody, and AD just doesn't. He doesn't play like that. Mm-hmm. AD's more of like a uh, kind of like a fine fine tuned version of playing, rather than Giannis is kind of just balls to the wall all the time three <laughs> yeah. steps drive dunk drive court. dunk drive dunk yeah and just baptizing people on his way to the <laughs> so, that's really the only category Giannis beats AD and it's just athleticism and that, that's about it other than that defensively I'd say they're about the same if not AD's a little bit better because I feel like AD guards better and then um, offensively you know Danny talked about it Giannis just doesn't shoot threes like AD does you can back off a of Giannis at the three-point line and uh, you can live with him taking that shot, but you can't back off of AD and live with that. Drive dunk, yeah. drive dunk, drive dunk, drive dunk. Drive dunk, drive dunk, yeah. That's drive all. dunk, drive dunk. Wash, rinse, Jump up, repeat. put your hand up, block. Jump up, put your hand up, block. Who <laughs> has live sports? Who literally, literally has, has live sports? <laughs> he's literally just a video game like where you can only like move in like four directions, left, right, up, down. <laughs> and, like, Giannis is like playing he NBA just at max speed. He is. He's playing NBA Jam and we're all playing 2K. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so to kind of like wrap it up, you guys obviously pick AD Anthony Davis for your MVP. I'm going to pick KD Kevin Durant for my MVP. Keeping it in the D's. Yeah, keeping it in the D's. So another reason why I think Kevin Durant is going to win it is because it's been a while since he won his last MVP since the 13-14 season when he was with the Thunder. And I'm really kind of making yeah, I'm really kind of banking on that whole idea that no one was expecting him to be anywhere near this level. I mean, he's not even resting on back-to-backs. Kawhi Leonard's healthy, and he still doesn't play back-to-backs. He's like, nah, nah, fuck that shit. <laughs> Back-to-back? Yeah, yeah. Hell no. And then I really thing, don't that think... thing just like, real quick... Sorry, Anthony, I just... Don't no, you're good. Power to you, but, so just real quick is, I mean, he's the emotional rock of that team on a team with James Harden, Kyrie Irving, DeAndre. No call, no show Kyrie. Yeah, no no call, call, no no show show Kyrie. And himself, who, as we already mentioned, had a burner account on Twitter like two years ago, making fun of fans, fighting with fans. (laughs) (laughs) You're not, the Brooklyn Nets are not in a good spot right now, other than three superstars. Forget an MVP, give the man a Nobel Peace Prize. (laughs) I mean, it's hard. Geez. I can get behind that. 
I can it's, get behind that. It's really, really hard to say that a team with three of the best offensive players in the league are in a bad spot, but the Brooklyn Nets are in a bad spot. They just got not only three of the best offensive players, but arguably three of the most toxic players in the league. Oh, yeah. The East got better, too. So, like, it's going to be kind of hard to compete in the East where you have high, highly defensive teams where they're going to be able to figure your offense out because you have three highly – uh, ball. I'd say like they're using most of the time they have the ball. It's just isolation offense, and yeah. you're going to be able to shut that down through rotation and being able to, you know, one v one or not one v one, but be able to rotate the double team through Kyrie and James and Kevin Durant. I mean, it, it, they're they're very good one on one, but once you start figuring them out offensively, it's just going to be easy to figure out the Brooklyn Nets, but. The thing is, is that it's also Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving at the end yeah. of the day. So you don't know how teams are going to shut them down defensively when you got three powerhouses. But if you are teams like, you know, the Bucks or the Celtics or maybe the Pacers or the Miami Heat where they're... They show the you know, Sixers some love. All right, 76ers, um, where their their defense is very good. And I'll say Toronto, too, because I think Toronto's defense is really good. I think their just offense is horrible this year. They just year. got off to a slow start, man. They'll bounce back by the end of the season. I have them making the playoffs. They always bounce back. I have back. them making the playoffs. They it's always okay. bounce back. I mean, speaking about the East beefing up, man, I think LeBron's got some insider knowledge because he just seems to know which conference to go to. He just knows which one's going to be weaker, man. He was in the East when it was weak. Then he switches to the West. Now, all of a sudden, all these West players go to the East. Like, LeBron knows something that we don't. He knows a lot that we don't. Yeah, he knows how to shoot a fucking ball. Yeah, including how to play (laughs) basketball much better than all of us. Okay, speak for yourself, Mitch. Danny has seen <laughs> my handling, all right? I think I could take LeBron one-on-one. I could I could yam it on him a couple times. If the, oh, yeah, if no the Nets, like, six feet, yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> I, feel pretty satisfied with, I feel pretty satisfied with the MVP conversation. Are you guys ready for uh, Rookie of the Year? Yeah, oh, yeah, hell yeah, yeah. All right, so I'm going to give this one to you guys. I'm going to give this whoever wants to go. All right, let me let me take the reins here for a minute. So, for rookie of the year, we talked about it a little bit. We touched on it. Tyrese Halliburton in Sacramento, man, he has come out the gates like a fucking cannonball. He's just splashing the league with just all these different things that you just wouldn't expect from a rookie. The facilitating, the ball handling, the movement, the defensive ability. Like, he just gives it 150% every time he's on the court. And there's just not a rookie out there that's doing it like him, man. Like, I just, I know LaMelo Ball has had his, like his star games and don't get me wrong he is he's great and he's definitely going to be in the conversation for rookie of the year and I wouldn't be shocked if he won it but just what Tyrese Halliburton has done especially with where he was picked at it was like the Donovan Mitchell of this draft nobody really expected him to pop off the way he does and the way he meshes with that whole team he just fits really well he's like a plug-and-play player and that I think in itself is just hopefully gets him rookie of the year the only reason I could see him not getting it is just because Sacramento doesn't get that much love from the media man and can I throw in oh yeah you can go all right I want to throw in 
like it, like a conversation that we don't really talk about. It's uh, the three point shooting with Lamelo uh, Lamel Ball. Uh, everybody like glorifies his three point shooting, but he's kind of like Trey Young, where he makes really dumb shots, really bad shot selections. Uh, his points per game are really low in my opinion, for the past, I'd say, five games. So the past five games, he's like, it's really inconsistent. It's 12, 22, 8, 4, 9. And he's had, in the in the game that he scored nine points, he had four turnovers. And, I mean, I, I can't, I didn't really see the but that's, that's yeah, just kind of like, what comes with it when you get a player like Lamelo, that player who shoots the 50 footers, you know, he goes for those highlight plays. And when you do those highlight plays, you get the four turnovers because you're throwing these full court passes every time you get what I, right. What I'm trying to get at though, is you, there's only two styles of play where he's trying to go down right now. He's trying to, it, all right. So everyone's hyping him up because of the triple double he just got, but he shoots like Trey young. So there's only one way to really play. If you really want to play at a level where you're going to be very consistent with the triple doubles is not to take those stupid shots. And mm-hmm. if you want to take those stupid shots, you're not getting triple doubles. So like you're playing in two sides of two styles of play in basketball. And I really think that the triple double route would be smarter for him, honestly, because you're playing at a like you're playing very smart and you're not turning the ball over a lot. And I mean, he, t- he turns the ball over look quite a bit. Yeah, one of my big issues with LaMelo is his shot selection. I think a lot of people knew that going into the draft is that you're drafting a player that, yes, he's got extreme three-point range, but he shoots 20 of those a game. And when you've, it's a totally different style of play um, when you're playing in Australia in their pro league. And then when you come to the NBA where it's the best of the best in the world and you've got these guys guarding you now, you can't just, you know, two dribbles between the legs, step back, shoot it from 40 feet. Like you said, shooting like Trey Young, it's the shot selection for me that really hurts the way he looks on the court. Like the game he shot for, or he got eight points. He missed ten field goals, like, and he also he had a turnover also that game, which you're basically giving the ball over eleven times, like that's eleven possessions that could have been, you know, taken better, but or played better, but you're not playing it well because you just want to shoot that three really quickly, basically five second offense, which it could work if you're if you're a high percentage shooter. Like maybe Malcolm Brogdon, James Harden, I'd say James Harden, um, Luka Donich, Bradley Beal, but you're not that player yet. You're only like, I'd say under 15 games right now, and you're taking shot selections that are very poor. So what's your prediction for rookie of the year? I think it's Hiley Burton because he plays a better uh, brand of basketball. He's able to facilitate better I think facilitating is like one of the most key important things for a player to do and rookie of the year is not really carrying your team it's just really kind of you know getting playing well and playing good so he's able to get six rebounds a game five assists and 12 points which is which is good because you're not you're putting up numbers that is helping your team but you're also getting low amount of turnovers and low amount of field goals missed because you're able to pass the ball better and you're able to read 
you know, the floor better. So I think he has better basketball IQ than LaMelo Ball. Uh, LaMelo Ball is smart. I mean, he is a good player at the end of the day, but I think that winning is not a top priority when it comes to talking about his gameplay and his style of play. So I think Hallie Burton will win Rookie of the Year. All right, Mitch. So we just shit all over your pick for Rookie of the Year. (laughs) Make your case. Yeah. Yeah. So I do think LaMelo is going to win Rookie of the Year. (laughs) So as we were talking about a little bit before the podcast, Rookie of the Year is a really media-driven award, and all ESPN really cares about right now in terms of rookies in the NBA is Anthony Edwards and LaMelo Ball, which don't even get me started on Anthony Edwards. Uh, LaMelo Ball is going to dominate the highlight reels in terms of rookie. Uh, I mean, I do love Tyrese Halliburton. I'm looking at his stats right now. Like, it's nothing against Tyrese Halliburton. I already told you guys, I do think right now he's a better basketball player than LaMelo Ball and has a very, very good chance of having a better long-term career in the league than LaMelo does. But it's just that it factor that LaMelo has that, you know, full-court bounce pass and leading to a dunk and the, you know, crazy Trey Young shots that sometimes he does make that ends up on Sports Center and all these people see it. You know, Tyrese Halliburton, for good reason, isn't taking those shots, but he's also not making those shots. So we're never going to see his kind of highlights. So that's essentially why I do think that LaMelo will win the MVP or not the MVP. (laughs) That'd be a crazy story. I mean, say LaMelo for MVP. No, why I think he's going to win the rookie of the year. When's the last time? He's going to dominate the media side of it, honestly. And he's still, I mean, I wanted to contest that though. He's already, he is already averaging. uh, He's above average in PER. With that being said, Halliburton's better has a better PER efficiency rating. I agree with you that LaMelo is probably going to win, although I do personally, I would like, and I think that it's going to be Halliburton. But, I mean, realistically, LaMelo, just because of the sheer highlight reels that he gets, is if I had to bet money on it, I would bet LaMelo. So I'll say this just real quick. Like, in an honest world, it would be Halliburton. But I think realistically, I I think it'll end up being LaMelo. Yeah. I wanted to contest you on the media thing. I don't think it's media driven. I, I just think that. All right. So, when's the last time you you remember somebody getting robbed of Rookie of the Year? Um, when Ben Simmons won it his second year in the league. In 2018. Yeah. Who is that over? I that forgot over... who it was over, but he should have never won that. Donovan Mitchell he wasn't a rookie. Yeah, it, it was, was Donovan, Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell. Right. Yeah. He did. He totally got robbed. Yeah, screw you, Danny. It was like two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> nah, Ben Simmons still played a really good year that year. I mean, you had 15 points per game. You had eight rebounds, eight assists. I mean, you were two, basically two assists and two rebounds away from averaging a triple-double with a field goal percentage of 54%, which has been higher only the last two times in the past 10 rookie of the years have over a 500% or over a 50% field goal percentage has been. But he uh, wasn't given. a rookie. He wasn't a rookie. Okay, that 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 has nothing to do with <laughs> statistics <laughs> and actually winning it because he wasn't a rookie. Yes, you are right. That's our next but he episode. did not play his first year. Was Ben Simmons a rookie first- or not? <laughs> we could spend a whole hour going Dude, back Dude, we really could. <laughs> 
I just I don't think that was fair to Donovan Mitchell, man. Just because like it's the same story as like Tyrese Halliburton, except Donovan Mitchell had a bigger breakout season. He, nobody saw it coming. Nobody saw Donovan Mitchell in the draft and was like, yeah, he's going to be a superstar one day. He's going to be an all-star. All and I got to say is John Morant got it last year over Zion Williamson, and Zion Williamson was still in the conversation for Rookie of the Year, and he only played like 36 games when John Morant played all 82. See, now, if Zion had won it, that'd be another example of someone getting robbed because Zion had no right to be in that conversation. Don't get me wrong. I like Zion, but for what you just said, he played 36 games or 32, whatever it was. He did not belong in there. See, another reason that I think, like, back to my theory, like, if Ja wasn't the type of player that he is where he just absolutely dunks it on everyone and he was more of a Tyrese Halliburton style, style player very good fundamentally does the behind the scenes things correctly i don't think that he would have won it i think they would have given it to zion i agree and that's the media right there because the media wanted zion to have it because zion was the same boat as Lamelo. where leading into the draft it was everything was about zion on espn and sports center every single day it was all zion they still say zion. zion in the pelicans like brandon ingram isn't the best player on the team right now <laughs> yeah right <laughs> right like i don't understand the pelicans are a whole nother conversation man like zion has not He's got time, don't get me wrong, but he has not lived up so far to what everybody was anticipating him being. And, you know, to be fair, he only played 36 games last season, and it's still fresh in this season, so he's got time. But everybody's saying he's the next LeBron, he's the next this and that. He just – he never amounted to that, and I kind of feel bad for the kid because that's just so much to live up to before ever playing your first game in the league. Right. Okay. So – Onto an award that rookies generally never win. It's an award you always win later in your career once you're more of a veteran player. Defensive player of the year. So I kind of was a cop out and I was thinking Rudy Gobert. You guys really, really, really got me interested in this whole Anthony Davis MVP slash rookie or uh, defensive player of the year talk. I might have to buy in. Case in point, man, what he did to James Harden absolutely cradled the baby that game, man. Swatted him like four or five different times. And, uh, you know, it's not just getting a block. It's getting a block on James Harden, arguably the best scorer in the NBA. So, and doing that numerous times in a game, he, he literally cradled the baby on him. And I think... I think when a player's driving down the lane and they see AD standing under the rim, you think twice before you go up with it. And that's just uh, – there's only a handful of players that you do that with, Rudy Gobert being one, Giannis being another, Jokic being one. Um, yeah, AD, I, I wouldn't be shocked, man, if he won both of them this year. That'd be a very interesting thing to happen. To add on to that, James Harden block, not only is he one of the best scorers in the league, but he's also the man that gets literally every single call on earth. I mean, he shoots like 15, 20 free throws a game. So even more impressive. Mitch's hate for James Harden is just it's funny. So as fuck. Strong, it's, <laughs> it's so strong, dude. It's so strong, dude. We go back and hate forth him so on this much. Shit. So much because he just rags on James Harden, everything he can think of. Dude, he told me last year that the Utah Jazz was going to beat the Rockets in the first round. And I laughed so hard 
because I didn't think that the Rockets would get blown out in the first round by the Utah Jazz. You know what? I'm not picking sides here, but I will say, Danny, your favorite player is the biggest choke artist in the league. Year I don't after think so. year. I love the I don't think so. I think there's I love more. It. I think Man, there's more. All, all I got to say is they almost got knocked out in the first round last year by OK fucking C. That's all I got to say. And James Harden <laughs> dragged them to a win. He literally got the game-winning block on Luke Dort. Like, and I think that he's not the biggest choke artist in the league. I think Blake Griffin is the biggest choke artist in the league because okay, he was on the Clippers. Mouth. You watch he was on mouth. the Clippers on Lob Freaking City, and he could not even get it past the first round. I do not blame Chris Paul one bit. DeAndre Jordan was literally there just to jump up and catch a ball and dunk it. He literally did nothing. I mean, he did a little bit on defense, but Blake Griffin was literally the name of that team with Chris Paul, and Chris Paul did his part, and Blake Griffin didn't. But I'm getting off topic. I'm just saying that James Harden did average, I'd say, over 25 points last playoffs. In, in last year's playoffs. So, like, I think his scoring was there. I think his defense got better because he was averaging about two steals a game by the end of the season. So, I think he got way better. He's more improved in his defense now than he Are you making was a case about for, five years. You're making a case I'm making for James Harden defensive Harden. player of the year? No, 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 no. I'm saying, <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying his defense – improved way about better to say danny you are going to in the lose past five all your years. credibility right now <laughs> <laughs> no man i like the guys that you guys mentioned Giannis, gobert ad i wouldn't say Jokic. i mean Jokic is just an overall good player but he's not really known for his defense he's known for more of his you know i don't know honestly basketball like, skills i in think general the with defensive player of the year is it doesn't always go to necessarily the best defender. I think it's really stat-based because, mm-hmm. let's be honest, not a lot of people enjoy watching defense and really like pay attention to the game on the defensive side of the ball in order to be able to analyze its defensive players. So basically give it to whoever the big man is who leads the league in blocks and can was, also uh... steal. I was going to say that it's probably the most boring category to really even talk about just because it's really between the three guys that we mentioned, Giannis, Gobert, and AD. We all know one of those three is going to end up with it. It's just a coin flip on who, really, as long as you got a three-sided coin, of course. But, right. um, <laughs> as long as you got a three-sided coin, which who doesn't? Yeah. <laughs> I got so, I got a jar of them, man. Of course, of course. So to get to another award that I feel like is probably going to be a consensus between us three, Coach of the Year, Monty mm. Williams, do we agree? Ooh, see, all right. Oh, this yep, is the thing I said. Coach of the Year I thought was Vogel, honestly. But if Houston or Phoenix plays the way they're playing right now, dude, I think Monty Williams could be able – to steal it honestly yeah i just think it's like impossible to win coach of the year after like a the year after winning a championship with the team like if there was yeah. a year for it, it would have been last year but did he win it last year is my real question because like they're gonna LeBron give it to the person yeah no kidding <laughs> <laughs> see i think i've got a totally different take on coach of the year than you guys oh no oh shit Tell me if any of the – I want you guys to name what team this is the coach of. James Borrego. That's a, that's a – he's a coach? Yeah. 
I guess. Yeah. Give me the letter of the city. C. Charlotte? Charlotte, baby. Oh. Yeah. I think he's going to do it, man. Because just Charlotte has taken strides this year from what they've been for the last five years. And the last just, ever, forever. yeah, the last, the last ever. Honestly, I think I think uh, Charlotte is gonna make splashes in the league this year. I know we were hating on Lamelo, but uh, but you said it at one point, Mitch. Lamelo is a good player. No, Danny said it. Lamelo is a good player. Like he's not bad. He's a really good point guard. He's got a bright future in the league, and every other piece around there, like you know, Miles Bridges. Oh my God, he has turned into an animal, and Gordon Hayward is playing so well and you got Terry Rozier. Like, I, I really like that team, and I really think that they're going to make a push in the East. I, I'm predicting, and I may sound dumb here, that they're going to make it out of the first round. I think Charlotte's making it out of the first round for the first time and maybe forever. Wow. I want to add um, a coach up up in our list here. I think that Brad Stevens um, doesn't get enough recognition for he doesn't, coach of the year. I agree with this. Always a solid coach right there. He's a big, I think Brad Stevens, if it's not Frank, though. if it's not Frank Vogel, if it's not Monty Williams, it's got, it has to be Brad Stevens. Hey, throw but, James Borrego's name in there, man. Show some respect on Charlotte. All right. Charlotte's gotten a hundred times better than they have when I was a young little boy. Um, I remember <laughs> when I was watching. a young lad. <laughs> they, they were absolutely horrible. I mean, but the thing is now they've taken steps to improve their team and they have gotten a spot where it's like, all right, if our team keeps performing the way they are and improve the way they should, then we are a playoff contending team, if not a Eastern Conference contending team. If our if our team plays out the way that it plays, it should play out because you have a lot of key pieces that you could trade. You also have some draft picks that you have in, in your arsenal. So you could pick up a superstar or not even a superstar, but you pick up a star and maybe like a consistent role player. I mean, you're already talking about one of the top teams in the East. I mean, top eight, I would say. Uh, the Hornets they're, are good. I mean, they're definitely going to be in the play in tournament, like without a doubt. And, and speaking of the play in tournament, I think that's so cool that Adam Silver is finally like try like he tried it out last year, of course, with the bubble. That was so unconventional. But I'm really glad they're sticking with it again because I loved it. I thought it was super interesting how it came down to the wire with the Grizzlies and the Pelicans and all that. I loved it. And I love what Adam Silver is doing with the league to try to shake it up and just add new aspects. I think it's really cool. I agree. I think it's sweet. I like the playing tournament. It gives it, it's just so much more entertaining than just a basic, you know, one through eight. Yeah. So coach of the year, I think it's going to be Monty Williams. Honestly, the Suns came into the bubble last year when eight, no, unfortunately they missed the playoffs, but if there would have been more games, I think we all three would probably agree that they for sure would have made the playoffs. I mean, yeah, that was heartbreaking, man. That was heartbreaking. I was breaking for them so bad. And, the acquisition of uh, Chris Paul. I mean, talk about probably the best leader in the NBA. I mean, the point God himself. Like, talk about a guy. Like, who would you rather have lead your team than Chris Paul? I mean, besides LeBron. But that's just kind of, like, untouchable. Honestly, I've got a hot take. I think the Phoenix Suns made the best move of the offseason, getting Chris Paul. See? Yeah. There we go. Yeah, I, I love that move because you got DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker. 
both Chris Paul and Devin Booker can run pick and roll with DeAndre Ayton. Chris Paul can run it with Devin Booker. Um, all that team was really missing was a facilitator because they tried making Devin Booker their main ball handler. And credit where credit's due, he's really good, but he's just a lot better when he can play off the ball rather than having the ball in his hands for a majority he's of the so time. so good off ball. He never stops moving. Yeah, he's, he's I, such I, I a good off-ball player. And not only Chris Paul and Devin Booker, but it's a team that's really struggled in past years, and they've kind of just acquired talent and acquired talent and acquired talent, and they never really found the point guard and coach combination to kind of make that work. They yeah. finally are hitting on Monty Williams and Chris Paul, and you're adding DeAndre Ayton to the mix. You're adding, I mean, guys that are probably underrated that don't get enough attention like Mikel Bridges, Jalen oh. Smith. I mean, I just really think that they're going to pop this year. They added guys like Langston Galloway, who's a really underrated three-point shooter in the league. I mean, I really, really think the Phoenix Suns are going to pop this year and make some noise. Yeah, Maybe, I'm totally yeah, with. they're going to get out of the first. Billy Oubre would be playing round. way better if he was on the Phoenix Suns. Oh than hell, he was on the Warriors! Hell no, hell. You know what? I was. I think just Kelly about Oubre. To say this, I think Kelly Oubre would be playing way better, dude. I was I'm just sorry. about to say this. The Phoenix Suns go to the bubble without Kelly Oubre. They go eight and zero. Kelly Oubre goes to the Warriors. He starts the season like zero for twenty three from three point land. I hate Kelly Oubre. I <laughs> absolutely why he can't hate shoot him. because the courts are too shy. Shiny, so that he looks down and he sees his reflection. He's like, "Oh shit, <laughs> that's a good-looking guy." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah, that's Kelly it. Oubre. That's, I hate that that's what guy. he said. No, the floor would be spread out better for him in Phoenix. I mean, maybe, but Phoenix is just so much better off without him. I'd rather get rid of him and never know what would happen if he was still there than have him right now. Kelly Oubre wants out of Phoenix because the courts are too clean. <laughs> Kelly Oubre wants out of Phoenix. The whole Quote, city unquote. of Phoenix also agrees. They want him gone. <laughs> so that really just leaves us with six man, which up until My, this was kind of a toss up for me. I mean, right now it's really early to tell. It's kind of a an award that you're going to want to let marinate as the season goes. But talk about Boucher in Toronto and just Toronto an organization that time and time again plucks a player from outer space and turns them into a six man of the year or like Fred Van Vliet a perennial all-star and it really just kind of fascinates me how they're able to do this time and time again with different players at different positions even when they change staffs from Dwayne Casey to Nick Nurse it still happens it really just seems like there's something in the water up there in Toronto or in the ice. But, uh, yeah, I'm going with Boucher, the center out of uh, Toronto. I mean, he's really just an animal. You know, I've got <clears throat> I've got two on this because I don't know if the first one will count anymore considering the trade that just happened. But Karis Levert, when he was on Brooklyn, um, I think it was a no-brainer for sixth man of the year. But now that he's traded and he's most likely going to start in Indiana, I don't think he'll be in that conversation anymore. And <clears throat> my second one, I'm not sure if this technically counts, given it how much the lineup changes. But I'm going to bring it back to our hometown, Josh Jackson, man. I, I really like Josh Jackson. I like his story, and I like what he's been doing this year. You know, I think he's a sleeper, and – I'm glad Detroit picked him up because I think he's got a good future as long as he keeps his head on tight and stays out of all the bad things that he was doing earlier in his career. 
but I'm, I'm big on Josh Jackson. But he, given Detroit's situation, we all know that they changed their starting lineup game to game. So I also don't really know if he would count as six man. Yeah, I mean, I think he would probably, unless an injury happened and he got thrust into a starting role, that he would probably have enough games off the bench to be eligible for a six-man award. But I do agree with you that I do really like Josh Jackson, and I think his his problem in the league was more off-court than it was on-court. And Definitely. Hopefully, for our case, being Detroit fans, it was just a situation of you need a maturity and a change of scenery, and what better place to grow up a little and be more comfortable than the place that you did grow up. Exactly. Josh Jackson's nice. I like Josh Jackson, but um, – I'm just going to say his defense compared to Boucher is not comparable because he doesn't even average half a block compared to Boucher's 2.6. Well, so, one's a center so and one's a small forward, so. Well, correct, but, like, you're going you're gonna to want to look at those kind of, like, categories more when it comes to, like, talking about overall players. So, you wanna, so when you're looking at their offense, you're going to look at their points and their assists. And then you're going to look at their efficiency rate. And if when you're going to come to defense, you're going to look more towards like blocks, more towards missed shots when you're guarding the player. Um, and I think Boucher just brings more of those numbers. And, and it's hard to say, and it's like, it sucks to say it because Josh Jackson does play really good. He plays with his heart at a hundred percent, but Boucher just like, you just watch him on the court and you're like, dude, this guy's a freaking monster. Like he's able to control the paint so well, like defensively and offensively. Like you see an actual presence when you're looking at Boucher compared to Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson, I feel like just fits in the lineup more better. Uh, He's able to play with everyone better, which basically is brought back to what I was basically saying with Halle Burton. He's able to play with the team better and his in his presence is actually there. You know what he's doing and what he's getting done for the team. So I, I like Josh Jackson. It's a really good pick because he he's making a difference in Detroit and it, I don't think that Detroit would be in the position where they're at if it wasn't for the Josh worst Jackson. team in the league. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a knock on him more than a compliment. <laughs> I mean, but they've won games, and it's because of yeah, them, is what yeah. I'm trying to say. I'm not saying their success no, through know. the season. Their success through the season sucks. And but we're tanking for that number one pick, man. Cade Cunningham or Imani Bates, baby. That's what we want. Yes, please. <laughs> Detroit's just in a tough situation where it's just like we know we know what we want, we just can't get it. Because the there's no Grant free agency. Though, man. Like, holy hell, has he really shown that he deserved that contract and he deserved a bigger role? What a Dude, he what a balling good, out. Yeah. I love that signing. And I just really hope that having him there attracts other good players to want to come play. Cause you know, D Rose sits out a lot and he's got his injuries and stuff. Yeah. But he's also a very good facilitator. He's very unselfish. You know, he's a good player to play with people like playing with D Rose. So I think mixing him with Jeremy Grant, and then you bring in like another, I'd say star level player and slap that in the mix. And then we'd be in probably the same boat that Charlotte's in right now. Yeah, we're. I mean, honestly, with uh, with how Grant's playing, a player like that really moves the needle for the Pistons. And with depending on how Dwayne Casey's career pans out in Detroit, we're really not that far off if you think about it. 
No, we're not. And Troy Weaver, I love how aggressive he's been, man, with like what he was doing with the draft picks. I'd like him being our GM because he's actually taking chances. And because the Pistons for so long have just been stagnant, they've just been doing everything by the book and it's gotten us nowhere. And then, you know, they blew it up by getting that Blake Griffin trade. Terrible idea in hindsight. Awful. But Troy Weaver comes in. He starts blowing shit up and doing different things and taking chances. And, like, it's interesting to follow the Pistons now. So how do you have this opinion on Josh Jackson being, what, sixth man of the year if you're going to shit on Detroit like that? Because, well, like, it's true. Everything you're saying is true. Correct, but like it's just like there's no correlation. I feel like because Josh Jackson is just like one of those players where it's just he plays well. Yes, you are right on everything you said, but it's just he's not helping the team win. Well, it's because when I look at six man of the year, I don't necessarily look at. I mean, for example, like look at Lou Williams when he won it back to back years. The Clippers weren't going and steamrolling teams; they were getting bounced in the first round if they made it to the first round that year. Right. I look at just like the production on the court and it's a hot take. Like, you know, chances are very slim of him ever actually getting it, but just so far through the season, I really like what I've seen from him. And I think that he's got the potential, like what Mitch said, I think he needed just a fresh start somewhere that's going to take a chance on him and let him grow into a role. And I just, especially on a team like the Pistons, he's going to see a lot of shots. He's going to get the ball a lot because we don't really have anybody outside of Jeremy Grant. And I'm going to exclude Blake Griffin from this because I absolutely hate him. Uh, you know, I'm, I just think he's going to get a lot of time on the court and he's going to get a lot of chances to shoot. And I don't know. I just think uh, it's a hot take definitely. And chances are very slim of it happening, but um you know, in my perfect world, Josh Jackson would win it because I love Detroit. No, I wasn't trying to, like, you know, uh, challenge you. I respect everything you said. I just wanted to see your correlation because it was really a hot take, and I'm just – No, like, I, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I, was I was just kind of that. baffled. Yeah, I was, I was kind of baffled. I was like, oh, shit, okay, I want to see his reason. Well, because mainly I was really banking on Karis LeVert, but now that he's traded, he's going to be starting in Indiana. So, Because, I mean, yeah, I think Karis LeVert was probably the clear-cut six-man of the year if he had stayed on Brooklyn for the rest of the season and came off the bench. I think he'd be the clear-cut six-man without a doubt. I, th- I think they have one of the best backcourts in the league. Um, I just don't see them really, you know, declining throughout the entire season. I mean, their three-point shooting is very consistent. I mean, I think their defense is good enough to get them by. Uh, They have a defense also behind them in the backcourt. And I just think that they're very good developed. Not not really Levert too much as developed like entirely but his offense is very developed but his defense needs some work but Brogdon is a really good person to have right next to him when it comes to three-point shooting and I think their offense is going to be outstanding because they'll be able to cover the floor um outside of the paint anywhere else anywhere outside the paint in my opinion uh Levert was going to be my pick also but I mean before like you know, the trade yesterday, but uh, I just think that Boucher is just like a really well presence player, in my opinion. Like, yeah, that's a just solid like, pick. That's yeah, just... definitely. He fits a role too, because literally no one knew his name before the start of the season, and not everyone's like all of a sudden, like, you know, damn, who the hell is this guy? 
Well, not much people know about him unless you're playing fantasy basketball. Like, for anybody else that's, like, outside of fantasy basketball, like, nobody really knows who he is. Like, average, like, everyday NBA player or NBA fans that are watching their favorite hometown, like, they're just basically watching, you know, I don't know, like, somebody that lives in Charlotte is watching their Hornets play and, you know, they're playing against the Toronto Raptors, and they're like, who the hell is this Boucher guy? He's already got 22 points and four blocks in fucking 16 minutes. Like, And they'll definitely – people are definitely going to know who he is when they – when the Raptors come and play their hometown team, though. Yeah, definitely. So I think by the end of the year, probably could pick up some steam for the sixth man. A hundred percent, but, like, nobody's really putting an eye on him right now because it's just, like, there's so much stuff happening inside the NBA with, like, trades and with, like, I don't know, movement within the conference. It's just – it's really cool to see, like, players like that develop that really don't have a name before the NBA season and then just out of nowhere they're just in the right place at the right time playing the right position, and they're able to just explode, and their, their volume just, like, is unexplainably, like, to the roof. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Of course. Mm-hmm. So that was really our NBA episode right there. I mean, we got got through the Harden trade and we got through all of our award picks. So we thank you guys Wait. for listening, and uh, we're gonna get back at you near next Thursday, next Friday, excuse me, in our episode. We thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. See ya. Peace.